You're listening to the Charge Forward audio blog by Chargebacks 911, bringing you the latest in payments and fraud. To learn more about how Chargebacks 911 can help you reduce chargebacks and recover revenue lost to fraud, visit us online at chargebacks911.com. This episode is a replay of a webinar entitled Chargeback Accounting, why it's so difficult and tips for making it easier and features experts from Chargebacks 911. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another great webinar from CPA Academy. My name is Beryl, and I'll be your moderator for today's webinar, Chargeback Accounting, Why It's So Difficult, and Tips for Making It Easier. I've got our presenter, Jared, right here. I'm going to turn things over to him in just a minute. But before we get started, I do want to go through some housekeeping items and do some technical checks to make sure everything on your end is working. First of all, if you don't mind going to that GoToWebinars, questions tab on your webinar panel, letting me know you can hear my voice and see the title slide. You should be able to see myself and our presenter, Jared, as well. Feel free to let me know what city you're listening in from. I do always love hearing where in the world you all are tuning in from today. If anyone has any technical trouble, please do let me know in that questions panel. Keep in mind, there are quite a few of you here and just one of me. I'll do my best to get around to each of you as quickly as I can. This is also where you are welcome to put in any questions or comments you have today for our presenter. If he's not able to get to them all in the live session, he will get a full report following the webinar and will follow up. All right, I am checking in on that questions panel. These are flying in from all over. I see Kentucky and Florida, Pennsylvania. We've got uh, Georgia, Virginia. That's where I'm tuning in from. All right, this is fabulous. Now that I know everything is working, let's go through some housekeeping. This webinar qualifies for one CPE credit. The way you earn that credit today is fairly straightforward. Just stay logged in for 50 minutes of our one hour session and answer the poll questions. We will have a total number of five polls during the webinar and to earn full credit, you'll need to answer at least three of them. Now, if you're on a mobile device today, you might need to tap your answer to those polls and scroll down to find your submit button. And if you do have to log out and log back into the session for any reason at all, our webinar system will keep track of your total time. I do want to let you know we are recording today's session and the archive, along with your credit, will be made available in your CPA Academy account. We'll do our best to have that recording and credit available to you in approximately 24 hours following today's session. I also do recommend that you download your presentation materials. You'll find those in your control panels handouts tab. All right, I think that is all from me and we are all set. Jared, I'm gonna turn the floor over to you. Well, thank you, Beryl. That was a really great intro. Uh, this is the first time that I've done a webinar with the um, CPA Academy. So, uh, so far, I've been very, very impressed with uh, with all the professionalism. Um, and I want to thank everybody for joining us today. I know how hard it is to take an hour out of your day just to listen to somebody wax on about chargebacks. So I really appreciate you guys taking the time. Um, at the beginning of the webinar, I always want to put up my email address. Uh, if I say something today or if I talk about anything today and uh, you, you could use some clarification or um, you, you would have some would like to learn more about some of the things that we do at Chargebacks 911, please feel free to give me a call or excuse me, uh, email me. Uh, I am the Senior Vice President of Product Marketing at Chargebacks 911. Uh, for anybody that's not familiar with Chargebacks 911, we are a technology provider that enables merchants to prevent uh, 
chargebacks, uh, illegitimate chargebacks, and we support them in their efforts to respond to chargebacks so that they can have uh, illegitimate chargebacks overturned and the money returned to them. Um, today's webinar, I'm going to talk, you know, sort of high high level about chargebacks and uh, some of the challenges that I know that all merchants have um, when they're reconciling and uh, understanding and diagnosing the issues that are behind um, these credit card disputes. Um, just so I have a sense of, um, you know, everybody on the uh, webinar today, um, then I'm going to go ahead and get to the first poll question, um, and that's just going to be a little bit about you. So if, um, Beryl, if you could trigger that poll question, that'd be great. Yep, I've gone ahead and launched that first polling question. I will just let the audience know that we leave each poll open for about 60 seconds for you to get your votes in. And that last answer choice is other. If you have uh, something that's not on this list, please let us know in that questions box. That's true. That's right. If you are a uh, underwater basket weaver and you are here just because you like chargebacks, let us know. All right, we are just approaching the end of this minute. Sounds like you can see the results coming in live, Jared. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can. All right, I'm going to go ahead and close down our first poll question in three, two, and one. We'll share those results out for the audience for just a brief second. But it looks like 34% of the audience is working for a firm with 10 employees or less. Yeah, yeah, it looks like the uh, the small companies was um, you know the least common answer, uh, sort of like a like a inverted bell curve kind of. I like that. Okay. All right. So just at the top, I, I want to talk about what is a chargeback because I know at least in accounting that there are three different types of chargebacks. So I wanted to be clear before anybody wasted their time which of those three we're talking about today. Um, we're talking about a a, a payment dispute. So. Somebody contacts their bank instead of contacting a merchant, either because their card was used um, fraudulently or because um, they believe that they have a grievance that they were unable to resolve with the merchant. So the merchant uh, did something fraudulent or misrepresented a product or refused to cancel a recurring uh, subscription. Um, so a real simple definition is a chargeback or is a creditor or uh, excuse me, is a debit or credit card. Uh, that is forcibly reversed by an issuing bank. It typ typically happens after the cardholder claims a transaction was the result of fraud or abuse. All right, so I want to talk a little bit because one of these, you know, we, we speak to merchants and businesses all the time, and they're always on the business side of chargebacks. Uh, and it, it can seem like a almost ridiculous law um, or a ridiculous situation where consumers that make a purchase can with no evidence and very little effort, oftentimes just in their banking app, uh, can dispute a charge and uh, the onus of the proven that the charge was legitimate goes to the merchant. Um, it's it's a it's a process that is often abused and it, you know, a lot of merchants are frustrated with it. So I always like to kind of back up and talk a little bit about why chargebacks are a thing and um, talk a little bit about the history because uh, surprisingly enough, the, the laws that make the bulk of, that sort of define the bulk of the rules that govern the chargeback process um, were written back in the 70s and early 80s. Um, and they were designed to facilitate and create sort of customer confidence around 
the credit cards. Uh, credit card usage used to be fairly uncommon. It was almost always in person. And, uh, you know, it was for large items, uh, large purchases. But uh, people, you know, were a little bit wary of these uh, uh, items that they carried them around and they were connected to their bank account or somebody could, uh, you know, st steal them out of their wallet that instead of, you know, getting away with the $50 they had in their wallet, they could theoretically get away with hundreds or thousands of dollars. So they, they put a lot of consumer protection in place, one, because it was sort of the right thing to do, but also because um, they wanted uh, uh, consumers to be confident and use these new devices. Um, it, you know, it, it made it possible for people to make impulse purchases without saving. And, uh, you know, it really it opened a lot of uh, areas of commerce uh, that had, you know, before been very difficult for middle class people to access. Uh, and then in 2000, the uh, sort of regulatory agencies really, really leaned into the chargeback rules because now you were getting into a situation where people were making, uh, you know, buying online, um, not knowing, you know, if the website that they were uh, shopping from was a legitimate website or a small mom and pop or a total scam website. And um, obviously the consumers were a little bit hesitant to begin to, um, utilize credit cards in this new way. So uh, much of the boom that came from the dot-com dot bubble and all of the, you know, if you think about Amazon.com and you think about, you know, all of the commerce that now occurs online, all of that was really made possible, uh, at least in part by the chargeback mechanism, because it gave uh, consumers recourse. It made consumers feel confident that, hey, if I buy something from this website and then they just turn out to be a, a scam website, I have the ability to contact my bank and get my money back. Um, the problem really, in my opinion, is sort of the new environment in which we find ourselves, where, you know, we have this technology, everybody's super familiar with this technology, and um, consumers have become a lot more savvy and really understand that they have these um, rights. So you know, consumers will, for a whole variety of reasons, sort of abuse the system. It will be used in a way that as it wasn't designed. So if you're accepting credit cards, really across the board. If you're accepting credit cards online, almost no matter what you're selling, eventually you're going to be dealing with some type of credit card dispute. Um, and so I think that most of the issues come around the ubiquitousness of uh, online shopping and card not present transactions. Um, because back in the early 2000s, it was really only when people had serious problems that they contacted their bank and, and then found out that they had, uh, that, that they had these rights. Um, also, in the interim, banks began to advertise, uh, you know, that the, their credit cards were uh, completely risk-free. So they could use the credit cards online, not not worry about it, um, you know, if they got a product or if somebody stole their credit card number. So um, <clears throat> it's it's one of those things where it's sort of grown, but largely it's been a, a benefit, um, you know, if you think about all of the millions and billions of dollars that are spent annually online and all of the businesses that exist because of the e-commerce uh, capabilities. Uh, you know, you have to, you have to weigh that against any of the, um, the challenges that chargebacks provide. Okay. So I'm just going to walk through the chargeback process a little bit, not because I think everybody needs a refresher here, um, but uh, because I want to make a larger point. So, so let's just go through the, the idea of a consumer. They come to a website, they interact with a shopping cart, 
um, that shopping cart is connected to the CRM or order management system, which is connected to the gateway. By the way, sometimes, sometimes you know, when you, when you talk about this, this is an oversimplified version, and um, I do realize that that sometimes people have different payment systems and payment payment workflows, but but generally this is the this is the path for for most uh, purchases, um, and then it goes from the uh, <clears throat> the processor to the bank. Um, and then through the card schemes to the other bank and and um, and so on. And so you have this this very sort of like normal process that transactions go through all day long as a merchant. And when a consumer has a problem um, and they request a refund, the refund sort of occurs on that same track, right? You go back to the beginning and you initiate the refund in a very similar way that you had sort of initiated the original transaction. Um, and then and then the everything everything is sort of designed to work that way. Um, a chargeback, an effective way to think about a chargeback is when they contact the the node at the end of this cycle and then just sort of force everything to function in reverse. Um, and really that's where the problems come in, especially from an accounting and a reconciliation standpoint, when you're forcing a payment system to work in the exact opposite direction, it's sort of like running up the stairs on an escalator. You know, it's, you can you can do it and it works, but it just creates a lot of uh, chaos and a lot of havoc. And it's it's it really is a complicated thing, not just for the merchant, but for the for the banks and for you know every everything, the order management system. Um, that's going to be some of the things that I'm going to talk about today. Um, okay, so I've got, um, let's see, we've got another question, I think, coming up, um, but we'll, we'll, we'll just, we'll press on and then, uh, and then we'll, we're going to ask kind of a bunch of questions all, uh, all together. Um, okay, one of the first issues that presents a problem from an accounting and reconciliation standpoint is the time limit. Right. So you have a, a chargeback and then the uh, merchant has 120 days. Now, that's 120 days from the um, expected delivery day. Right. So that's not even 120 days from the transaction date. It's 120 days from the. So so if you have a product that's supposed to deliver in 60 days, then theoretically they have 180 days uh, in order to complain to their bank about your product or service. So you have this liability that exists as a merchant for an incredibly long time. And then, and then as a merchant, you have 30 to 45 days, depending on, um, you know, depending on a few different variables, but you have 30, 30 days in most cases to respond to a dispute. So to provide the additional information or accept the dispute or just ignore the dispute and then it'll get closed uh, automatically by the, uh, the issuing bank. Uh, but and then if you do respond, then, you know, it can just go on and it can drag out. So theoretically, you could have a transaction that is in limbo that is, you know, taken out of your account, put back in your account. You know, that we've seen all kinds of different things for, you know, going on a year. So it could even go into the next sort of year of uh, accounting and billing. So um, that's one of the challenges is just sort of that. You know, by the time this thing is fully resolved, uh, you know, and you know if, if it's going to be a, a, a plus or a negative on the balance sheet, uh, you know, it could be it could be a quarter later. It could be, you know, the, the next uh, fiscal year. Um, <clears throat> another issue that happens when you talk about the um, delay from the transaction date to the actual chargeback date is a phenomenon we call it the chargeback holiday hangover because it's most profound right after Christmas. And basically what happens is you have 
a December month where sales are up, you know, 300%, for example, and then um, everything is great, everything is good, and then January comes and everybody's, you know, the, the people are sort of, oh, I bought too much stuff or I bought two of these things and I only meant to buy one. For whatever reason, all of the chargebacks start coming in in January. In fact, um, just sort of anecdotally on our website, when I look at the um, the website traffic in the in December, the searches for the terms that we, we try to target go way, way, way down because everybody's, you know, they're not really thinking about that. They're thinking about fulfillment. They're thinking about, uh, you know, making as much money as possible. Uh, and then Jan and January comes around and then all of these chargebacks start coming in and they don't have the sales to offset it, right? So you have all of these December sales that are booked on last year and then you have January chargebacks where you have all these negative uh uh, <clears throat> negative line items on your bank statement. So um, the other way that this creates issues is around chargeback ratio. Now, I'm sure that everybody works for, you know, a, a company that doesn't have any chargeback problems. You have maybe an occasional chargeback. But if you are at a company that has that is doing, like, for example, recurring billing or negative option billing, so you have a free trial system, um, you know, or if you're, um, you know, any, any type of automated billing really, like, so you, if you have a, something where you take a deposit, but then you sort of ch charge the, the end result, um, then you have a chargeback liability. And one of the things that can happen is that you can get above that 1% chargeback uh, rate that, uh, banks like you to stay under. And then you're going to start having all kinds of chargeback fees because you're going to be sort of considered a high risk merchant. So the, the merchant processors that are going to do business with you are sort of, you know, they're, they're going to be, um, they're going to have a lot of uh, requirements for you and they're going to charge you a lot of fees. So it's real important that if you just want to maintain that, that normal healthy processing that you don't go above that 1% or if you do, you do, you know, you only do for a moment. And so this comes into play when you, when you look at the difference between the way that ratio is calculated for Visa and MasterCard. Um, and so Visa is the uh, number of chargebacks in the current month uh, over the number of transactions in the current month, right? Uh, whereas MasterCard is the number of chargebacks in a current month over the number of transactions in the previous month, right? Uh, so, so both of these, and, and one of the things that, yeah, to point to point out, neither of these are number of trans chargebacks over number of transactions. So, so in either case, with the December January, you know the um, uh, <clears throat> the the Mastercard is a little bit, you know, it, it sort of acknowledges that. But if you have chargebacks in February from charges that you had in December, then you still even even in in either scheme, you run the risk of being above that one percent just because you don't have the number of transactions in order to offset all of those chargebacks. So it's it's something where if, if you have a season, if you have you know a high sales month or something like that, um, it's real important that you're conscious of what your chargeback ratio is because because banks, you know, they, they do not like it. And once you have a little bit of a problem or a bank says, you know, this is something that you need to uh, uh, take a look at, you're gonna be kind of on a little bit of a watch list. Um, and then if you're really bad with it, eventually you'll lose the ability to, to uh, accept credit cards altogether. And then once that happens, that's, I mean, you're kind of burned. Um, your sort of entity and, and even you as a person uh, are gonna have a really difficult time accepting credit cards in the future. So, oh, sorry, I forgot that it had this animation in it, but but now you can see that, you know, the, the difference. So you have the, 
the way Visa is calculating the same exact data versus the way that MasterCard is calculating the same exact data. And this is a very standard um, instance, but when you when you factor in the variances of, you know, holiday hangovers or, you know, any other sort of um, seasonal seasonality in your business, um, this can be exacerbated um, by, by a significant degree. Um, <clears throat> okay, another issue that I know that people have is um, the chargeback. Well, actually, let's go, let's go ahead. Well, no, hold on. I keep, I keep wanting to do a, a question, but I'm going to change my mind. Um, okay, is matching the chargeback to the transaction? And this is, this is important. It may not be important to you at all. Um, you may just when uh, it depends on your bank, so I can't, I can't speak with any type of specificity here. But generally, or often, what will happen is that the, the disputed amount and chargeback fees and all, there's a whole bunch of little fees and line item fees and stuff that they'll sneak in there, but it'll all be line items on your statement rather than, you know, like a, like a debit that, that it connects to an actual transaction. Um, and, you know, in some ways from an accounting standpoint, that can be a little bit easier to deal with, but from an operational sort of like business health understanding, it's not a very efficient way to, uh, to, to understand what's going on, right? I mean, if, if, if what your goal is, is look, we've got a, a, some amount of chargebacks. It's not very much. Uh, you know, we're just going to know that this is going to happen. And for some businesses that works, you get one chargeback every, you know, month or two or you get a handful every month, but it's, you know, 0.1% of your total total gross revenue, uh, you know, and it just makes sense to just sort of deal with it as a cost of doing business. Um, where it gets a little bit tricky is, you know, if you have, you know, some more than that, or if you're doing enough business where even 0.1% is a significant amount of revenue, uh, you're, you're going to want to diagnose why this is happening and understanding you know, that you've got this line item that's totally disconnected from any order. It's not, you know, in your CRM. It's not connected to the rest of your systems is, is a really big challenge. And, um, and so it's one of the reasons why dealing with and managing chargebacks is a, is a challenge for merchants. Okay. So now we're going to get to the first question. Um, and this is a, uh, um, sort of a, um, <clears throat> it's a, it's a quiz question. Let's see if you guys get the answer right. All right, Jared, I've gone ahead and launched. This is actually our second of five oh, polls. Second of five polls. There you go. Yeah. For every dollar disputed, merchants end up losing. You can mark your answer choice. This poll will stay open for about 60 seconds. Looks like we've got a horse race going between two of the answer choices. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We'll leave this one open for just a little bit longer. Thanks so much for getting your votes in. Close down our second poll in three two and one sharing these results on screen it looks like 35 percent of the audience is saying a dollar 25 followed by 30 percent saying a dollar 75 goes down from there I'll yeah so, to you for the answer yeah so this is this is exciting so let's let's get to the answer let's let's talk about this a little bit and uh, i came up with a kind of a graphic that i use because i think it's i think this is um this is important and it's illustrative, and uh, I think it's one of the big points that I hope everybody takes away um, from from today. So um, the way that most people think about chargebacks is they they think about the uh, cost of the mer uh, the merchandise, right? So if if uh, you, you sell a sweater online, you mail the sweater, uh, or you you know you do a service or whatever it is. 
um, that, that you're charging for, uh, and then the, the transaction value. And they sort of think about it, ah, you know, they, they think about it like whatever. It's just a, like, a, like shoplifting or something like that. It's just something that happens. Sometimes people get away with it. Um, the, the problem is all of the hidden costs and all of the things that happen downstream because of chargebacks. Um, the Lexus Nexus, uh, uh, risk solutions comes out with a true cost of fraud study every year. And they've been coming out with this uh, number called the fraud multiplier. And they look at all of these different factors, all of these different variables, you know, the, the fees, you know, the oftentimes that you, you don't really even realize you're receiving the administrative costs, because now you've got a, a more difficult challenge, even just from an accounting standpoint, but also from, you know, if you, if you wanted to really, action and sort of prevent these from happening, the shipping and fulfillment costs, the uh, customer acquisition costs. You know, if you have a, a, a thin margin in your customer acquisition, if you have a, a fairly um, straightforward customer acquisition, it's very easy to determine that that money that you spent in order to bring that person in the door is also also lost. Another thing is uh, false declines, because when merchants uh, start trying to prevent chargebacks, one of the ways that they try to do this is by fraud filters, right? Because they've got, obviously, some percent of chargebacks are instances where people use stolen credit cards, especially if you have a retail a store where you sell things with, um, you know, high resale value. So you, you, you put these fraud uh, restrictions in in order to try to identify illegitimate credit cards. And what does it do? It gets a lot of false positives, right? So people come in, they come to your shopping cart, they try to make a purchase, and then the, um, the their credit card doesn't go through, and you lose the uh, the purchase. Um, you know, return fraud is another one because you know if if something a lot of retailers will do. Think about um, uh, Amazon, for example, right? Amazon's super easy. That's one of the th reasons why you shop there is because. You know, you know that if if I buy these jeans and I put them on and they just don't really look right in the mirror, I can return them. I can drop them off at the Kohl's or, the, you know, there's a few, few different places or, you know, I can I can send them back and uh, no questions asked. I can return this stuff. So part of the reason why that return process is so easy is because Amazon has made the calculation that chargebacks are so costly because of, you know, the other things. And so they put systems in place to minimize chargebacks. But as a result, you know, theoretically, you know, they've got people that are inclined to to abuse the return system. So these are just a few of them. I, I, I could sit here and talk all day about all the sort of downstream consequences of chargebacks. But the real answer and, um, you know, it is it is surprising. I can tell by the responses to the poll question is uh, three dollars and seventy five cents. And I and I bring this up not because, um, you know, I realize from an accounting standpoint, it's very difficult to it'll, it'll be almost impossible for you to quantify all of these downstream effects. But from an operational business standpoint, if you're dealing with chargebacks, one of the mistakes that businesses make is they think about it as that top line. Well, we we, we had a, you know, $500 in chargebacks this month. So, um, you know, it's a $500 expense. It's, you know, whatever. It's a rounding error. It's not that big a deal. Um, but you, but you have to really factor in all of the other sort of consequences of chargebacks. And, uh, the fraud multiplier is a really quick sort of way for you to do that so that when you're thinking about 
you know, how, how is this impacting my business? You have a metric and you don't need to go through and track down and figure out, well, what was the actual customer acquisition cost for, for this customer and, and all of these other things. But, um, it's fairly safe to say that even if you don't have a physical product, even if, if you don't, uh, fit into this exact model, um, that, that your, um, the, the cost associated with, uh, disputed transactions is significantly higher than, than you would expect. <clears throat> So the, wh why don't we, uh, why don't we go ahead and do a poll question now? I think we have uh, three more that we're going to get through. Super. I'll go ahead and launch that next poll now. Question is, how would you rate your knowledge of chargebacks? I'll go ahead and give you 60 seconds to answer this third of five polls. Thank you so much for getting those answers in quickly. Thanks so much for voting in on this poll. Just about all set. I'll be closing this one down shortly. All right, closing poll three and three, two and one. Looks like we've got our attendees in the right session. 37% saying poor, 44% saying fair. Back to you. All right, well, I apologize for the 2% uh, that are, that have a really strong understanding. Uh, if I, if I get something wrong today, then, uh, you know, you can email me afterwards and let me know. Um, but for the rest of you, you know, hopefully, hopefully there'll be some, uh, some gems in this that you guys can, um, you know, use within your business. One that I think is real important and something that we see businesses get wrong pretty much always is understanding the interconnectivity of the different sort of business systems. Um, and I start, I talked a little bit about sort of the issue with the return fraud. Um, but you know, I think if you think about it like a balloon, right? So if you, if you take, um, you know, we, we can think about it the other direction. If, if you're a retail store and you're selling, uh, you know, what, whatever it is, like clothing or something like that, and, um, you put obstacles in place, right? And everybody's like, everybody's had this, right? Everybody's had the gym membership that's very difficult to cancel or, you know, the, uh, you know, item that was really where you had a restocking fee, you know, businesses will put obstacles in place in order to limit and dissuade you from canceling or returning an object, an item or, um, you know, other things. Uh, and they'll have no return policies, all of this stuff. But, but when you, when you try to, try to minimize returns, uh, invariably you're going to create a incentive for those customers to contact their bank. Now they, they won't. So it's not a one to one ratio generally. It's generally less than that, but it's, it's oftentimes, um, oftentimes if, if you have two strict return policies, if you don't have that customer service, um, department that's, you know, really available and, you know, make things easy for customers to resolve issues, um, then, you know, you may, you may have fewer returns, but you're going to have more disputes. Um, and so, what I, we encourage merchants to do is always sort of do a cost benefit analysis when you're thinking about, you know, the different areas of your business. Um, and this is a theme that I think in today when I talk about this stuff and I, and I provide, you know, whatever advice I can, um, that's sort of the, the underlying theme is you have to think about and you have to frame any strategy that you use around chargebacks and disputes, um, you know, with a holistic lens and you have to think about what these decisions mean for your business, right? Um, and, and, and you have to, you have to really think bigger than the individual problem. You have to think about, um, the, the larger systems that are supporting your business. 
And I, th- I think I, I don't remember what the title was. It was something, something like the, the tricks to make it easier or something like that. Um, the easiest trick to make accounting for chargebacks easier is, um, to, to prevent them. Um, so I'm going to talk about prevention and diagnosing the problems that can lead to chargebacks for kind of the rest of, um, um, this webinar. I've got a couple more points, but that's going to be sort of the phase two um, of the webinar. And uh, with that, I th- let's go ahead and ask one more question just so you guys can uh, can have your questions. Super. All right. I'm going to launch polling question number four on your screen now. Do you engage in chargeback representment? If so, to what percentage of chargebacks do you respond? Yeah, and this is, and we're going to talk a little bit about it today. I'm not going to talk too much about it because that's a whole other webinar. Um, you know, I think I think prevention is really key, and there are some tools that are available to for for merchants that um, that not only prevent chargebacks but sort of simplify the accounting and simplify the um, um, <clears throat> you know systems and the the tax that it can put on uh, on your business. All right, this is our fourth of our five polls. We will have one final polling question before the end of the webinar. And I'll be getting ready to close this poll down in three, two, and one. And it looks like 80% of the audience is not engaging in chargeback representment. Yeah, so so there's there's a few reasons for that. It could be that um, chargebacks are just... Um, sort of treated as a cost of doing business within your in your uh, organization, um, or it could be that you, you don't you know you do everything um, in person, uh, you don't have uh, card not present transactions. But but uh, sooner or later, all businesses are going to deal with chargebacks. And one of the things that that you can do is you can fight the chargebacks. So representment, I should have defined it before the question came up. But representment is the uh, process by which you represent the transaction to the issuing bank and you provide some additional information. Um, <clears throat> so I should have defined that before the question got started. But um, the we're going to talk about prevention. And one of the things that's super important when you talk about prevention and you talk about sort of holistically understanding your chargebacks is understanding why they happen. And there's, in theory, a really good system that um, will let you know why a chargeback happened. Um, every chargeback that's filed uh, through the, well, at least through Visa or Master, I think everything has it. I think all the networks have reason codes, but there's a lot of credit cards around the world. So the Visa, MasterCard, American Express, and Discover, they all have their own individual reason code system. Um, but any chargeback is going to come with a reason code. And these reason codes are meant to describe the complaint or the issue that the um, the chargeback is seeking to resolve. Um, and, and they are important. They're important for, for you to understand, like, you know, I've got I've got this this problem or I've got a lot of, you know, uh, canceled recurring. So I've got some, maybe some people that, uh, you know, forgot that they had subscribed, um, you know, counterfeit merchandise, whatever you, you, you can identify some liabilities within your business. But, um, you know, all of those lists, all of the different reasons really fall into three buckets and each bucket requires a, uh, you know, an, an independent strategy for, um, for dealing with the chargeback, right? Um, 
So you have uh, criminal frauds, that's stolen credit cards, uh, you know, basically just stolen credit cards. You have merchant error, which is whatever, you, you, you forgot to ship something, um, failure to communicate with a, with a consumer, failure to cancel a recurring subscription, those type of things. And then you have friendly fraud, which is usually some type of um, uh, um, dissatisfied customer. There's some type of grievance, um, you know, and, uh, and, and those are sort of the illegitimate chargebacks. Those are the chargebacks where, you know, maybe there's an issue, but, uh, uh, they are, they aren't, uh, the chargebacks are not the appropriate way to resolve the issue. They should resolve the issue with the merchant directly. Um, <clears throat> so when, when you talk about one of the ways to divide it is at the transaction. So if you have criminal fraud, which is, you know, identity theft, account takeover, those type of things, where you have somebody that's really not the person using the credit card, um, the, you know, the thing that chargebacks are really good at rectifying, right, because they motivate merchants to, uh, you know, take action and make sure that, um, you know, they're uh, uh, being responsible with, uh, you know, accepting credit cards and, you know, doing all of those things. Um, and then the other area is chargeback abuse, and that's all post-transaction, right? So at, at the transaction, you can do things to say, hey, is this really the person that, you know, that, that they say they are? Is it a stolen credit card? Is it, you know, somebody that hacked somebody's account? Whereas after um, the chargeback abuse, which, you know, has to do with, um, you know, maybe, for example, your billing descriptor isn't accurate or isn't easy to understand. So when they get their bill, they don't recognize the charge. Those type of things, they happen after the transaction. So things that you can do to mitigate those type of chargebacks um, largely are things that um, that are that happen after the transaction. There's no pre-transaction way to identify as somebody that's gonna file a, uh, a chargeback abuse or a friendly fraud chargeback. Now, the, the problem that merchants have pretty pretty much immediately is that they they don't, see any of the stuff, right? They don't really see the reason why chargebacks happen. They do have reason codes, um, but they don't, uh, you know, they, they're not very helpful and oftentimes they're they're inaccurate. Um, <clears throat> so I just said that there's three buckets, but I think that it's important to explore a little bit of nuance here. Um, and that is to think about the chargeback fraud, friendly fraud, chargeback abuse as sort of one end of, of a spectrum, right? Somebody that uses a credit card and then they just decide they wish they hadn't. <laughs> and they, uh, you know, or they buy something that they can't afford and then they try to charge it back in order to get it for free. Um, that type of abuse is, is sort of an extreme end of the spectrum. And then merchant fraud, right? Somebody that accepts a credit card and then they don't ever ship a product, right? It's a scam. Um, that's sort of another end of the spectrum, right? And, and it, as everybody knows, life is messier than that. So there's everything usually exists on a continuum where uh, there's a little bit of stuff that the merchant did, right? So for example, the, a great example of this continuum is an instance where shipping is delayed, right? So somebody goes on, they make a purchase, the, the, the estimated shipping time is five days, and there's a two-day delay because there's, you know, an issue in the warehouse or whatever. And so then the product gets shipped and it doesn't get there on time. And the, the, the merchant doesn't notify the customer, doesn't send them any kind of, you know, hey, sorry, it's late, doesn't even acknowledge the issue. And then the customer tries to contact the merchant. The merchant, you know, whatever, doesn't have, has like, you know, only four hours a day of customer service time or something like that. Um, in that case, there's the, the, the customer has a point, right? The customer was told that things were going to ship. They, you know, they weren't told 
that it was running late. They, you know, had a really hard time getting in contact with the merchant. Um, but still, when they contact their bank, that's still not the right way to go about resolving that issue. Um, and, but it's something that we can understand, right? Because we're also all customers, right? Even if we're the merchant in the chargeback scenario, most of the time, we're also customers. So we want we want good service and we want, um, you know, people that accept credit cards that we've never met. We want we want to hold them to to account for at least a minimum level of um, service and um, honesty. Uh, so, so that's an example of something that sort of falls in the middle. Now, all the stuff on the right, right? Even the example that I gave, even though the merchant was wrong, um, th th that's a representable chargeback. So if the merchant, you know, wants to, they can provide evidence, say, look, no, we shipped this, this shirt to this person. They received it. it. You know, I got a delivery confirmation and here's a picture of them on social media wearing the shirt, you know, that type of stuff. And, and merchants will go to that length. In order to uh, to you know prove that a uh, transaction was legitimate and they did provide the service, um, so it's it's uh, it's it's kind of a it's kind of a, a new it's a game of nuance um, and merchants need to decide for themselves how what how they need to think about this right so so do they want to be proactive in making sure that customer service is available and making sure that they over communicate to customers or, you know, are, are they um, more comfortable uh, defending themselves and representing a chargeback in certain instances. And one of the things that I advocate um, just from a purely business standpoint is just a B test, right? Uh, an example where I think that this can, um, this can be really beneficial is around uh, marketing language because, you know, I've got a background in marketing and I'm sure that I've written a, a sales line or two or a headline or two that was a little bit, um, <clears throat> uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Uh, hyperbolic, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, uh, best perfume in the world, that type of thing. Um, and so you need to understand, well, some of those things that you do as a merchant are going to create customer service issues and ultimately chargebacks. Um, but some of those things that you do sort, sort of the same type of thing, um, you know, isn't going to really create that much because people are going to understand uh, that, it, that you know, of course, it's not the best perfume in the world, that it's a uh, more of a marketing statement. So especially around things like guarantees and other things like that, it's important that, that you, um, you, you, you try different things. If you think that a guarantee is driving a bunch of sales, but you know that, you know, because you have this guarantee that, you know, you aren't supporting the refund process or you aren't, you know, dealing with the um, <clears throat> you know, unhappy customers in an effective enough way that it's creating this, this chargeback liability. Um, take the guarantee off and try to reframe it or try to do something else and see if it impacts sales. Now, it might be that the guarantee is driving sales and you are correct and chargebacks are just a sort of cost of doing business. Um, but uh, oftentimes what we find is that there's uh, that, that merchants are doing things and creating issues for themselves uh, without really ever thinking, you know, two steps or really understanding the ways that these uh, decisions impact the rest of their business. OK. All right. Looks like we're, we're getting uh, we're getting on good. OK. So now the customer service, I want to talk about customer service a little bit for two reasons. 
if you have chargebacks, if you are a merchant and you're dealing even with one chargeback, the customer service is going to be your best friend because customer service almost always, if it's a criminal fraud chargeback, the customer service won't know, right? If it's the super malicious, like, um, friendly fraud chargeback, somebody's intentionally trying to get something for free, customer service won't hear about it, right? So those extreme cases, pretty much everything else, customer service is going to have some insight. So being able to to match that the the chargeback to the transaction and then match the transaction to the customer service interaction is going to be a huge thing. Um, it'll help you diagnose things that you're doing. It'll help you understand why customers filed the, the chargeback, but it'll also give you the evidence that you need um, to to uh, potentially refute the, the chargebacks if that's what you choose to do. So if somebody purchases something and they email your customer service and say, uh, you know, oh, this this thing is a piece of garbage. It looked so much nicer online. Um, but then they go to their bank and say, I never received it. You have evidence now that they did receive it. So um, customer service, I mean, that's kind of a, you know, I, I, I again, I think I think these decisions need to be made through, with a business lens in mind. Um, but um, but customer service is, is a great resource. Uh, for, for both your ability to fight a chargeback and um, your ability to prevent it. Um, so some tools while we're talking about prevention, these are tools where I think at the end of the day, if chargebacks and not dealing with chargebacks is what you're all about, um, these tools prevent some really good options, um, especially if you're somebody that is just deciding that chargebacks are just a cost of doing business. If you're gonna accept credit cards online, a certain number of those transactions are gonna be disputed. Um, the first one is refund-based prevention tools. There's um, a total of three. There's Ethica Alerts and Verify CDM, which are sort of legacy tools. And then there's now uh, a Visa uh, Rapid Dispute Resolution, which uh, actually uses the uh, Visa network. And basically what it does is it says, hey, you've got a customer. They've contacted their bank. They're unhappy. Why don't you just refund them and we can just avoid this whole Michigas, right? Um, and that's the way that it works. And so for merchants that just want a refund, want a simple transaction, want to say, yeah, customer, I get it. Here's, here's your money back. I don't want to go through the chargeback process. I don't want this thing pending for 60 or 90 days. And I don't want you to go through that. I, you know, I'm not going to fight it. And I'd rather have just a cleaner experience. I'd rather you have a better experience. I'd rather use the payment system like it was designed. Um, then these tools are really great um, and they make everybody's life easier. And if you have a problem with uh, chargeback ratios, so if you're up anywhere near that 1%, they're really, really great tools because they allow you to avoid the chargeback. They never go through that, um, the chargeback uh, um, <clears throat> uh, process. So you, they don't impact your ratio. So you don't have any uh, issues uh, being above that, that 1%. All right. And then the uh, the newer tools are um, database prevention tools. And there's actually some new stuff coming um, that is uh, along this um, type. And this is usually for larger merchants and basically the way that it works. And I've got a little chart up here and I'm 
I'm not sure if I'm going to explain it exactly like the chart describes, but um, in the instance that we talked about where somebody contacts their issuing bank and they say, you know, I don't recognize this charge or whatever, um, the what these tools allow merchants to do is provide additional information to that issuing bank in real time. So um, something that kind of a lot of people don't understand, I didn't, I know I didn't understand. When when you contact the bank um, and inquire about a a something on your bill, um, they don't have much more information than you do. I think they have a little bit more information, but it's not like information from order information, order ID. It isn't like what you bought. It isn't really anything. It's the same basic information that you have. So when you contact them and say, hey, I don't recognize this charge. This is, I didn't do this, right? The bank sort of the only thing that they can do is file a chargeback, right? And a, you know, I don't know, specific numbers are, are possible to understand, but a significant number of chargebacks are mistaken, are filed on mistake, right? Either by, by people that didn't recognize a charge and didn't know that they were filing a chargeback, right? They contacted their bank to see if the bank could just tell them more and the only button the bank could push was the chargeback button, right? Because the conversation is essentially the same as if you show up and talk to your bank and say, hey, somebody stole my credit card. I didn't buy this, right? Uh, it's very similar conversation. So people, they just, they just file the chargeback and then we'll, we'll see what happens, right? You're the customer, so they want to make you happy. Um, so what these tools allow uh, merchants to do is provide that sort of insight. That's why it's called order insights and consumer clarity so that when somebody contacts their bank, they don't recognize a charge. Maybe they think, uh, you know, um, they can get away with a charge back uh, by, you know, um, uh, 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 stretching the truth. Uh, the issuing bank now has information. They say, oh, no, these are red shoes. They were ordered. You know, they were shipped to your house. They were delivered. It looks like, uh, you know, somebody named John signed for them, that type of stuff, right? All that information, all that sort of like behind the scenes stuff that, uh, that the banks don't have access to. And what that does is it, it prevents in real time, uh, you know, a, a fair number of those chargebacks and the chargebacks, by the way, that are the most difficult to deal with because they are the, um, the disputes that are uh, mistaken instances of friendly fraud, right? So they come through as friendly fraud. If they come through as, canceled recurring, you have a pretty good sense that, you know, that what's happening, right? And you have the ability to refute those chargebacks and try to recover the money. It could be, you know, somebody that's just trying to get something free or just wish they didn't sign up for your free trial system, whatever it is. Um, but when you have fraud reason codes that come through, it's very difficult to to dispute them or do anything except just think that you have fraud. And so it's, you know, it's very easy to make sort of bad business decisions if you think you have a fraud problem that you don't really have. Um, so these tools are, are sort of newer to the market. They, they take a little bit of integration. Um, they're for right now. They're they're primarily for um, larger straight sale businesses that um, you know have have chargebacks primarily as you know just because they're doing a, a lot of business. But um, you know we're working on ways to to make these available to to maybe mid-sized merchants that um, you know are getting a, a few chargebacks a month, but not not anywhere near um, what those big box stores are. So that's basically it. Um, I think we had some questions. I, I don't know, again, because my background's in chargeback communication and in uh, marketing, I, I don't 
Uh, if anybody has a really specific question, I can uh, definitely get it answered. But if, if it's uh, too in the weeds or too sort of specific to your business, I might have trouble. But um, if anybody has any questions, I think we've got a few minutes left. Oh, wait. No, there's a poll question. You guys are waiting for that. I was just going to say, Jared, can I launch the final poll yeah, question? And let's do it. I can uh, pitch you a question while that poll is up if you'd like. That sounds great. Well, what is the poll question first? Uh, the poll question is, I'll launch it. Approximately how many chargebacks do you receive in an average month? Okay. Yeah. Yep. So we'll oh. leave this one open for about a minute. And then, um, one question that came in is what are some factors that are causing chargebacks to increase? Well, I, I think that the biggest issue is consumer behavior, right? So, um, People, it's chargeback. Chargeback abuse is a learned behavior, and what happens, at least anecdotally, is that people come in and um, they don't recognize a charge on their credit card, or they bought something online and they got ripped off. Whatever, they had a problem with a credit card transaction, and and they'll contact their bank. Um, and the process is so easy. Right. There's like I think I talked about it earlier, but like if you go into your bank, I don't know who you have, but I have Bank of America for my, my personal banking. And if I go in there on pretty much every line item, there's a little button that says dispute this charge. I don't even need to call anybody or talk to anybody or tell anybody why I'm disputing a charge. And um, and it's just really easy. So so the, the banks have really made it easy and made it clear to their consumers that they got our, our back. Um, and you know, it's really hard when you're upset or you wish that the shoes had gotten there in time for the party. It's very hard for, for a lot of people not to, um, you know, to, to, to utilize that power that they have as a consumer. Um, and, um, as a result, you know, there's, there's an increasing number. It's just sort of like a learned behavior. Um, I think that's the biggest thing driving it because, because. Technology has actually made it easier for, um, um, you know, merchants to prevent a lot of fraud. Uh, so, so fraud chargebacks are actually on the decline, but this, um, you know, friendly fraud uh, chargeback abuse is, uh, is it tends to be the thing that merchants are increasingly struggling with, whether they realize it or not. All right. I did close down that final poll behind the scenes. It looks like 87% of the audience is saying less than 10. So I'll yeah, share so out. Some small businesses. I know people work for firms and stuff, so it's hard to frame that question. And you know, if you have a, a lot of clients, and it may not even be something that anybody is uh, is really looking at. So I, I hope I hope today you know was helpful, or that um, you guys got something out of it. At least you got a uh, a credit. And um, a, again, let me go ahead and if I can, let me see if I can put I'll put my email back up. If you guys, I really like one-liner jokes. So if you don't have a question, you want to send me a one-liner joke, that would probably make my day as well. Um, <clears throat> there it is. All right. But if you have any questions about these products or about something that I said that quite didn't quite make any sense, or if you have a, just a, a really difficult question, I'll make sure to uh, refer you to the um, the person that would be best able to answer difficult questions. Great. Uh, well, as we said at the beginning, Jared, you will get a full report at the end of this webinar. So any questions we weren't able to get to today, you will see those. And uh, we've got lots of attendees just chiming in with great presentation. This was so informative. Thank you so much. And with that, I'll uh, go ahead and wrap us up. We appreciate having you with us today. So this is the conclusion.
of our webinar, we here at CPA Academy will process your credit later today. That along with uh, your handouts and this webinar will be available in your CPA Academy accounts in approximately 24 hours. If you look in your email inbox, you will find the evaluation link for this webinar. We always appreciate hearing your feedback on our sessions. Please do check the schedule on our website for additional information, and we hope to see you on a future webinar. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks so much, Jared. Yep, bye, guys.